The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get in the Word. Listen, I understand that we're, you know, we have things going on. Some people aren't coming to church yet. I understand also, too, it's a long weekend, holiday weekend. People bolt. They go do things. Some people just decide, hey, it's Labor Day on Monday, so that means I'm just going to do nothing on Sunday. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. And every time we come together, I expect something great. And I want to I get into the Word, expecting something great this morning. As we do that, we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've spent uh, a number of weeks in concerning the armor of God, the things that God's equipped us with. Uh, in order to, to see great things take place in our lives. There's a few things I want to get into in the, the scripture here. And as we get into these things, we're going to find a, a number of truths. I want to share some of these with you so we can look forward to them together. Now, one's going to sound familiar because we've looked at it every week. What we need in order to resist the devil. We're going to find that in the word this morning. Now, God's called you to live a tremendous, powerful, victorious life in fact, the scripture declares that in Jesus, we more than conquer, more than conquer. Uh, I once heard that described one time. I mean, how, do you, how, how could you be more than a conqueror, you know? And the description was, well, there was a prize fighter, and he had a, a fight, and he went, and he trained, and he labored, and then he went, and he struggled through the fight, and he finally came out victorious. He was a conqueror, and they gave him his paycheck, and he went home, and he handed it to his wife, and she was more than a conqueror. That's, that's how I've heard that described before. Uh, but we're going to find out what, what God's given us to, to resist evil. I mean, there's evil in the world today. There are temptations. There are struggles. There are all kinds of activities and events going on right now with agendas to, to draw crowds to them, to draw the masses to them. And there's a need for us to resist, and God's equipped us to resist. We're going to see in the Scripture what that equipping is and how we can apply it. Another thing we're going to find <clears throat> is what the Word of God does. Now, ever since I was a kid, I was taught in, in church or in Sunday school, you know, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. Well, reading to me is, is a chore. I, I don't enjoy reading. Some people love to read. Uh, that's just never been something uh, that I enjoy. But I understand that that's what I was told. You need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. Well, the more that I found out why that's important, the more I'm encouraged to do that. I mean, there's a reason why we're supposed to be reading the Scripture. We're going to see what the Scripture actually does. Here's a third thing we're going to find when we get through the Word this morning, and that's why we have the Spirit of God in our lives. I mean, why you have the Holy Spirit. That's an important thing to think about and consider. I mean, when you consider everything that God's done on our behalf through Jesus, you know, that He would send Jesus in the first place, that Jesus would, would speak and preach and minister and preach, perform these signs and wonders, and then that he would be obedient and go to the cross and die on our behalf. I mean, it's a pretty tremendous thing. When you, when you read the history, when you understand all of this stuff happened, and it happened for you, and then you begin to see the point of it, it, it should trigger some uh, priorities in our minds and in our pursuits. I mean, one of those things is, I mean, Jesus said out of his own mouth, you know, this is why I, I go to the cross. This is why I go away, so that the Holy Spirit can come, so that the Helper can come. Now, that makes me want to have every single thing that the Helper's meant to bring in my life, and we're going to see one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings into our life uh, here in a moment. 
So I want to get into the Word. We're going to continue in the series here. We've been speaking about the armor of God. I'd like for you to to write this down in your notes or open up your Bibles if you have them. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin around verse 10. We're going to move through uh, around verse uh, 16 or 17. We're going to see what's needed in order to resist evil. This is one of the things, the first thing that we said we're going to find. We'll find it here. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It goes on to say that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. It goes on to say, stand firm, therefore, having, and it goes to list these pieces of the armor of God, having put on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having covered your feet with the preparation of the good news of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then it goes on to say, take on the, or put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now what we see here is these things that God gives us in order to resist evil. Without these things in our lives, it's going to be very difficult to resist the evil that is attempting to draw us away from the call of God upon our lives. It's going to be difficult to stand against the schemes that are trying to to move people out of the place of righteousness where God has called them and into a place of wickedness where they're being seduced to be moved to. Now, we've gone through these things and we've discussed them. We've talked about the belt of truth, how important truth is that there's an attempt to bring a lie into our lives, whether it's in the church or through the media or through other elements, there's an attempt to bring a lie to lead to compromise. We've talked about righteousness and the importance of righteousness. We've talked about peace and the good news of peace, the importance of that. We've spoken about faith, the shield of faith. We talked about the helmet of salvation. Now today, we're at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I want to talk about this just for a moment before we get into some scriptures, but I want you to think about this. I I think it's important to pause and allow our imaginations to work here. I mean, God went out of his way to create this visual picture of what these things are, the armor of God. I mean, when you picture a shield or, or a helmet, you have an image in your mind. Something that you've probably seen before, whether it's through, you know, media or, or movies or something like that. And when you, when you think of a sword, you, you can picture something. And as you, you consider a sword, I want you just to simply think about it for a moment. I mean, what makes it up? How do you use it? What's its purpose? I mean, as in all of the armor of God, most of the elements are, are defensive. They're to protect and now we come to a, a, a piece of the armor that, that can be used defensively, but also can be used on the offensive. I mean, consider that. Also consider the range. I mean, you understand how your enemy works when we have the shield of faith to uh, protect us from the arrows that he shoots. Well, that means he's at a distance. He's, he's not standing right in front of you. He, he could be off somewhere hiding in the bushes, and you never even know it's coming, and he's trying to get you. But then consider what you have to do battle with. He didn't give you the bow and arrow of the Spirit so that you could shoot back, but he gave you the sword of the Spirit. That's a very close-range weapon. 
I mean, you're within an arm's reach of your enemy before it's ever effective. These things reveal things to me that I think are worth thinking about. I mean, when I consider that, it, it, I'm going to get really close to the problems or the challenges or the situations or the circumstances that God's called me to deal with. Now, this is a, a, a real issue for a lot of Christians. They don't want to get close to that stuff. You know, they, they want to sit a mile away from all of that and let's just let our pastor deal with it or let's let, you know, somebody else will handle that or deal with that. But we're called to be close to these things. These things get close to us. There have been times where I've really wondered, God, why are you letting this touch my house? Well, he's bringing it within range so that I can deal with it with the equipment that he's given me to deal with it. And I think it's important for us to see things that way, you know, to consider those things and, and to, to allow God's word to be animated in our mind and our imagination. I think it's the reason why we have an imagination in the first place. So I want to get into the Word and talk about the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to talk about just the idea of the Word of God for a moment. How important God's Word is to, to God Himself. I mean, you can't divide God's Word from who He is. The Word of God isn't a thing. I mean, it's a person. The Scripture reveals that the very name of Jesus Christ is the Word of God. But I want to give you a passage of Scripture that I think is worth taking a look out here out of the psalm, Psalm 138, verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2. It reads like this, You have, and it's speaking of God, you have magnified your word according to your name. Now there are some translations that, that rather than have according to, have above. You've magnified your word above your name. I mean, the Word of God is really a, a priority or ought to be a priority in our lives in the pursuit of the things of God being established in how we function, how we behave, how we live. I've grown up in Christian circles and in churches where large emphasis was placed on the name of God, and that's, that's good, rightfully so. Rightfully so. But according to the Scripture, the Word of God is on the same platform. You can't divide the name of God from the Word of God. They're one and the same. And a pursuit and an understanding and a priority placed upon the Word of God is necessary for us to resist evil and to move in the direction of righteousness that we're called. In fact, the Word of God is the only way, I mean, I'm saying the only way on purpose, for us to be spiritual in any way, shape, or form. I mean, you can just think about that for a moment. I mean, I, I've met people, I've, I've, I've seen things where there were attempts to be spiritual. I mean, some of the things were even a little comical. Um, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, a little goofy, but uh, my, my wife is a bit of a rock hound. So, you know, she'll look at places that have certain geological phenomenon and things like that, and we'll travel to those places and and, you know, I, I kind of dig holes and shovel rock for a living. And, and her idea of a vacation is to go somewhere else and <laughs> dig holes and shovel rock. And, and it's kind of interesting, you know. So we'll go and we'll look for these, these gems and semi-precious stones and things like that. I mean, it, it really is kind of fun. And we found some really incredible things. And when you find something, you, you want to know more about it. So you go to the Internet, you know, and you type in, you know, what, what is... What did I find here? It's this blue crystal. Well, if you Google blue crystal, you find a lot of people that are really weird, you know, saying, well, that one's got special powers for healing, and that one's got... And it's really strange. And I look at it, and I just have to kind of chuckle and think, it's a rock, you know? 
But here's what I see when I see stuff like that. And the humor may not translate there, but there are people attempting to be spiritual. I mean, they're really trying. In fact, that's a stretch to me. When you hear about some of the things and the, the, the links that people go to in an attempt to be spiritual, it, it's really comical. But the only way to operate spiritually is within the Word of God. I'll give you a passage of Scripture to back this up so that it's not just me saying it. Uh, Jesus says it himself out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus is speaking about the Word of God. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, in a pursuit of of being a more spiritual person, it's going to be very difficult to do that out of the very thing that is spirit. In a pursuit of of more vivid life or or living that would be more enjoyable, it's going to be very difficult to obtain that in a pursuit outside of the words that actually make up life itself. When Jesus says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit in our life, we ought to understand that any pursuit of anything spiritual or any pursuit of a heightened awareness of the life that we're called to live is only going to be found in his word. I want to give you a passage of scripture here to confirm what the word of God has the power to bring into your life. And that's deliverance, it's salvation, it's being rescued. No matter what the situation or no matter what the circumstance. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. Out of Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Now Romans 1 verse 16 begins as a statement. I mean, there's this declaration that there's no shame in the good news or the gospel or the word of God. It goes on to declare what the word of God, what God's word has the power to bring into our lives. The word of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation for all believers, deliverance, being rescued at any given moment, at any given time. I mean, I was born again years ago. I remember the moment it happened, but ever since that moment, God has delivered me or rescued me a lot of times. He's delivered me when my marriage was falling apart or when I thought I was losing my kids or, or when things in business were, were collapsing and there was temptation to compromise, God has rescued me and delivered me countless times. And he's rescuing and delivering you as well. And he does that through his word. The word of God is the power of God to save for all who believe. And here's one of the reasons why it, it has that effect. The Word of God is sanctifying. Now, we don't use that word very often. It it simply means it it changes you. It changes your situation. Now, I'm kind of, uh, you know, a normal guy, an average guy. So a lot of the examples that pop into my mind are, are very normal and average, okay? So when I think of sanctifying something, right, uh, my mind goes to food for some reason, I've got a couple of, of preteen boys in the house, and if I want something, I have to hide it from them, or, or else, you know, it's gone when I go to snack on it. So there have been plenty of times I have set aside or set apart or sanctified something in order to preserve it, right? 
Well, well, you're being set apart. You're being sanctified. You're being preserved from the, the evil and the things that are in this world. And what does that, according to the Scripture, is the Scripture, the Word of God. Now, Jesus prayed, and he prayed for you. If you're ever needing to be encouraged, if you're ever feeling down, if you ever just feel like you've been stepped on and kicked and, and it just can't get any worse, my encouragement to you is read John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. And in this prayer, he asks God to do something. He asks God to do something, you know, for you or, or, or to you or on your behalf, however you wish to, to interpret it there. He, he prays this in John chapter 17, verse 17. He asks God, Father, will you sanctify them? Now, you're the them and I'm the them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Make them to be different. Let them be preserved. Now, when I read that, it is encouraging, and I think, oh, yes, sign me up for that. But then it's also revealing that God is doing something in our lives that ought to make us appear different than everybody else. We shouldn't blend in. I mean, it's not like we're, we're meant to be camouflaged in this world. We're meant to stand out. And, and not just a little bit, but, but the most tremendous contrast that could possibly be animated is, is given to describe how much we're to stand out as light in the darkness. I mean, you can't stand out more than that. There are occasions where I'll examine my own life and I'll ask myself, do I blend in or do I stand out? Am I watching all of the same things that the world is watching? Am I listening to all the same things the world is listening to? Do I sound like everybody else in the world? Or, or, or am I different? Now, you don't just be different in an effort to be sanctified, but being sanctified will produce a different result. My goal isn't to just be countercultural and call that sanctification, but my goal is to surrender to the Word of God, let its sanctifying effect take place in my life, and then have a countercultural product. It starts with the Word, and it ends with being different. This requires something. It requires a surrender, and I want to talk about that in a moment. I want to give you a passage of scripture that actually meant a lot to me when I was young. Now, there's many of these passages, but if I ever share that with you, it's just because it stood out. I mean, I can tell you why it stood out. I mean, I, I was a young guy. I was a single guy. I, like every human being dealt with all of the, the, the mental strain and, and hormonal strain of being young and single and all of these things. And I remember this passage of scripture after I was born again, and I thought, what a powerful and encouraging word. And, and I devoted my life to making it a part of my life. And, and it means a lot to me. It's out of the Psalms, Psalm 119. I want to look at verses 9 through 11. I want to offer it to you for your lives and then also for you to offer it to those around you that you know are dealing with challenges. But it opens up with this question. And I think how many Christians would love to ask Jesus this question if they knew that there would be no judgment, that no one would condemn them for asking it. They literally ask this question. The psalmist is asking this question to God. How can a young man keep his way pure? Question mark. 
And as I get older, I think you could scratch out the word young and just say, how can a man keep his way pure? And what a great question to ask. I mean, what a tremendously powerful question. And then let's just take gender out of the equation and just say, how can a person, how can a person keep their way pure? It goes on to give the answer, by keeping it according to your word. With all of my heart, I seek you. Don't let me wander from your word. Your word, I treasure in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Boy, that's one to memorize, isn't it? That's one to apply in your life and, 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 and really pursue. Father, I want this for me. I want this for us, that we would treasure your word, that we would put your word in our heart, that we would not sin against you. And it shows you the power of the word of God. I remember working with a young man, a wonderful young man, a young man that was literally on fire for Jesus. Every one of his t-shirts that he wore every single day was, was uh, you know, an evangelist's statement. I mean, I remember the shirt that he wore the most was, ask me about Jesus. I mean, everything in his life, he, it was like the kid swallowed a light bulb. I mean, he, he was all, and he couldn't even stand still. He was always just bouncing around, you know, and this guy was on fire for Jesus. But he had some tremendous struggles in his life when it came to keeping his life pure. And he'd gone to conferences and gone to things and gone. And when I read the scripture, it, it's, it's not about books at the Christian bookstore. It's about the actual word of God. When we surrender to the word, when we give our life over to the word, we see a powerful result. It has the ability to have an effect on our heart, which then has an effect on our behavior, our attitudes, our thinking, our entire being. It's not about looking the part on the outside. It's about surrendering to the Word of God on the inside. And when the Word of God is surrendered to on the inside, there's a tremendous and powerful effect outwardly. It doesn't matter how many books. It doesn't matter how many t-shirts. doesn't matter how many Christian concerts or prayer meetings. But when we allow the Word of God to lead, guide, and direct our steps, we're liberated from the impurity that is trying to pull us away from the righteous call that God has upon our lives, and we're released into the path that God has called us to walk, the one that leads to the expansion of his kingdom in every way. So when we consider this, we can see why the word of God is so important, why it's so powerful, how it can have these wonderful effects. And I want to explain just why that is really quickly. And it's, it's really simply, uh, uh, it's a simple thing. It's it's. It's simply that the Word of God is not a, a series of statements or, or vocabulary, use of vocabulary. The Word of God is Jesus. I mean, as we surrender to the Word of God, we're surrendering to Jesus. We're not surrendering to a series of scrolls that are, are written down and documented, but rather the living Word of God, though He has given His Word to be written down, is absolutely eternal. It's not something that was just jotted down several thousand years ago. It was from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's out of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. A passage of scripture for your notes out of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. Jesus, his name is called the Word of God. Capital T, capital W, capital G. It's a formal name. 
And I want to give you this passage of Scripture here, and I want to emphasize a couple of things here. In fact, I think we may spend a little bit of time here because I think this could be the point. I told you we're going to find, you know, what the Word of God does. That was one of the three things we're going to find, what the Word of God does. We'll see it here in the Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I want to uh, look at verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 12. It's speaking about the Word of God. Now remember, this is the sword of the Spirit. This is what we've been equipped with in order to resist evil. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The Word of God is living and active. It's not just a dead book. Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have connection, with him we have fellowship. I mean, there's something here that I want to look at, and if you just read it and and don't pause to to try to understand it, it can just be a statement that sounds really formal. But there's a couple of things being spoken here that really cause the the sword of the Spirit to to take shape in in my thought life, in my understanding, and I hope that it does for you too. Uh, When we're called to put on the armor of God so that we can resist the schemes of the devil, I see something here that I want to point out here in this passage of Hebrews. What the Word of God does. I mean, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, you have this this description that's being given to build up the point. Living, active, sharp. But then it goes on to give the point what it does. Has the ability to divide between the soul and the spirit. I mean, to me, that's really powerful. I want to just talk about that for a moment, and, and I want to ask for your, your attention on this, because I really think that if this can be applied to our lives, it can have a really powerful effect. A lot of people would just kind of lump the soul and the spirit into the same category, but they're not the same. The scripture makes it clear that, that I, I am a being, I mean, I'm Preston Humphreys, but I'm, I'm, I'm three parts, I've got a body. I've got a soul, and I've got a spirit. I mean, the body, you can see, it's pretty evident. And by the way, God loves your body. It's why he's going to raise it up, you know. I mean, he, he's, your body's not just throwaway. You've got a soul. That's what makes you you. I mean, it's, it, it's in the mind. It, it's your intelligence, your imagination, your will. I mean, I have two sons. They're twins. And in so many ways, they, they, they have things in common, but yet they're completely different. And, and they're the result of, of biology in, in a number of ways. I mean, my DNA, their mom's DNA, I'll spare you the birds and the bees here, but, but that's what made up their, their body. But then there's what makes up who they are in their mind, they're, the things they like, the things they dislike. I, I didn't do that. That's what God wove together. That's their soul. That's who they are. That is what is absolutely uh, everlasting. It, it's their identity. And your soul is a really wonderful and powerful thing. And then there's your spirit. 
your spirit, which is the, the, the life that God has poured out into you that is absolutely uh, eternal. That, that one way or the other, your spirit lives forever. There is no doubt about that. And because of what God has done on our behalf, we can dwell with him in his presence. Now, I want to offer this to you as, as the passage of Scripture here in Hebrews. It's identifying the word of God. It's building it up. It's, it's, it's describing it as living, active, and sharp. And then it gives the point why it's so living and active and sharp in order to divide between the soul and the spirit. I mean, God is spirit and our spirit testifies with him, but yet our soul is where God's redeeming us in our mind and our thinking. The renewal of our mind is taking place. Let me give you a, just kind of an example of what I think we're seeing here in Hebrews and why the scripture is so important. There are a number of things that I may want, but they're not things that I need. The scripture is able to help divide between those two things so that I'm not led by my own carnalities, my own desires, but rather I can be led by God, by the things that he values, by the things that he calls me to. That's really why this standard has been given to me, so that I can use it as a tool to divide between the things that will make proper provision and, and bring prosperity and the things that will be empty and vain and lead to disappointment. I can divide between the things that are carnal and the things that are spiritual. I can divide between the things that are temporary and divide between the things that are eternal. I can make that division properly by using the tool that God has given me. He's given me his word. I want to give you a passage of scripture here concerning the scripture concerning the word of God. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of James. James chapter 1 verse 21. It's a call. It's a call to me. It's a call to you. It says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And in humility, receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. Once again, you see the word soul there used. The Word of God is meant to have a powerful effect on, on our mind, on your emotions, on your will, on all the things that exist in the realm of your mind, all the things that exist within your soul. It has a powerful effect on your intellect or your intelligence. It's meant to, to transform and, and, and elevate our lives from where they were to where God is calling us to be. I want to give you a passage of scripture and I want to share with you a story. And no, it's not the allergy medication kicking in. I want to edit the message here kind of on the fly. There are things that are in here that I want to skip for this week and then there are things that I want to add because I think it's important for us to see an example. I have an example that I want to share with you. It involves just telling a story about a friend of mine. When I talk about the, the scripture or the word of God having an, an, an powerful impact on your mind, being able to divide between what matters and what doesn't matter, I think this example would be a fitting way to, to wrap up the, the message. Uh, I was in a, a West African country. Uh, it, was in, it was Cameroon. Cameroon is a French-speaking country. Uh, I don't speak French. My French is, is not present at all. 
uh, but, but I had a, the opportunity to speak in English there and was there ministering. I was sent to this little tiny village. Now, there, there, were, there were situations that were undesirable, a little bit of political unrest going on. So there were some tensions that were in existence there. And uh, I thought that, you know, I was really suffering for Jesus during this. And I, it kind of went to my head a little bit. I thought, you know, well, this is, I could write like Paul that I have, you know. And, and you, you had all these thoughts going through your mind. And then I, I got to the place and I sat down with my friend that I was there to minister with. And, and we, we were served a, a very uh, modest meal, but, but it was everything they had. And we were eating and, and we were speaking. And the more that we spoke, the more I realized that I hadn't suffered jack. He was talking to me, and, and I noticed uh, some scarring on his face, and it was uh, indicative of some, some tribal markings that would be a, a Muslim practice. And so I asked him, uh, hey, is your family Islamic? Are you Muslim? So I was. I was Muslim. God delivered me. I, I was born again. I said, wow, uh, what about your family? And he said, well, it's an interesting story. And he sat back in his chair, and if you ever have the chance to, to visit with anyone from Africa, they're wonderful storytellers. In fact, their newspapers are hilarious, because it's not like they're reporters. It's almost like the headline should read, Once Upon a Time. You know, they love to tell stories. It's really incredible. And he begins to tell me the story, and, and he talks about how God got a hold of his life in a powerful way, and he renounced Islam, and he became a believer. And as he's telling the story, we're sitting there, and I'm listening, and I just, well, well uh, what, what happened with your family? He said, well, they have slowly but surely, God has touched every one of their lives, and now they're all believers. And I said, well, what about the, the, the struggles that come with that? Uh, uh, you know, what, what took place in, in your life between being a Muslim and being a believer? And he sat back in his chair, and you know you're about to hear a story when you hear, ah, ah. And he started to, to tell me, he said, you know, there, there was a struggle. I was cast out of my family. I was kicked out of the house. I was renounced. I was disowned. And he's going through these things. And he's not just going down a list. He's giving the details that come with them. And then he says, uh, and then I remember one night, in, in the middle of the night, uh, I was kidnapped. And I was taken to a place. I had no idea where I was. I was a hood was thrown over my head. I was, I was uh, dragged to a, a place that I had no idea where I was at. I was locked in a room, and I was there for days. I just remember sitting there listening, and, you know, you, 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 we have some things here in the West that go away when you're hearing conversations like that. One of them is this. Have you ever had someone talking to you, and you're just smiling and nodding like you can relate to everything they're saying? I've, I've never been kidnapped like that before. So this goes away. And you're just looking at him. And, and if he quits talking, you just let it go quiet. You don't want to be like, yeah, that happened to me one time. It's crazy. You just listen. And the pause, you know, there's a couple of seconds of awkward silence. And he says, I was there. I, I, I lost count of the, the, the time. It had to have been at least a, a day or two. I was bound. It was, I, I was thrown in the room. No food, no water. No, no bathroom, no toilet. The hood was on. 
And after being there for what I think was about two days, the door slammed open and the hood came off. And all I could remember was, was not being able to see because of my eyes not being able to adjust to the light after being covered for, for that length of time. But I could make out two figures standing, just, just the figures. I, don't even, I couldn't see who it was. And they told me, renounce Jesus. That's how he worded it. Renounce Jesus. And I sat there silently. They got aggressive. They, they became belligerent. Renounce Jesus. And the hood went back over my head and the door slammed and I was there sitting again in the dark. Some time went by, about another day. I hear noises at the door all of a sudden, and the door flies open. The hood is pulled off, and again, I can't see. I can make out two figures. They say the same. Renounce Jesus. Islam is the truth. He says, I can't say anything. They, They get belligerent. They become aggressive. The hood goes back on, and the door slams shut. And at this point, the hunger, the thirst, the, the just being delirious, the, the stress, the torment, it's all weighing. And he says uh, an, another series of, of, of hours go by, and the door flies open, and the hood comes off, and his eyes begin to adjust, and he can make out this time two men, only this time they're carrying something. One of them as what appears to be a burlap sack and a machete. And they say, renounce Jesus, Islam is the truth, or we will carry you out of here in this sack. I don't have any words when he's telling me this. And he's not the only guy to go through something like that. But the fact that he's sitting there telling me the story causes me to ask, you know, what what happened? And here's here's his answer, you know, and I, I you're 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 sitting there, you're not wondering if, if all of a sudden they were blinded by heavenly light or if angels came in and struck them down or or something like that. He just said, I just sat there. And I told them no. And he said, but I wasn't thinking the word no. In fact, he said, all I could think was a scripture. That's all I could think of was a scripture. Everything else was gone in my mind except one scripture. A scripture that said, don't fear those who can only kill the body, but then after that can't do anything. Rather, fear the one who can kill the body and also destroy the soul in hell. It's the words of of Jesus saying, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Rather, fear God. Don't fear those who can only kill the body. This is what's going through his mind while he's being threatened with his life in, in, in the most brutal of ways. It's all that he can think of. And so he looks at those that are threatening his life in the face and he says, no. He refuses to renounce Jesus. The hood goes back on and the door slams. And I imagine it's a very emotional moment. 
He says the door flings back open and he's grabbed and he's drugged out into the streets. He's thrown into the, the, the back of a vehicle. He's driven out to some place that he doesn't know and he's thrown out of the car. Why they spared him, I have no idea, but they did. But all I can remember being moved by in this entire story and all of its emotions sitting across from this man is the power of the scripture on the mind to transcend all of the threat, to transcend all of the fear, to transcend all of the the self-preservation and the concerns for one's own well-being. The only thing that he could think was a scripture. And I remember when he told me that story, it ignited a hunger inside of me. I want to put the word of God inside of me. So that when I'm faced with adversity, when I'm faced with trial, when I'm faced with tribulation, that is the voice that prevails. Not the voice of self-preservation, not the voice of compromise, but the voice of truth. I told you before we would find a, a third thing, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit. I want to offer this to you uh, as we, we wrap up the, the message and the series here. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. If you're curious about the Holy Ghost and and his, his role, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, these are great chapters out of the gospel where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit. Obviously, he speaks about the Holy Spirit throughout the gospel, but these are two that are, are uh, extremely helpful. John chapter 14, uh, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Ghost and he says this, He says, the words I speak to you, I've spoken while I've been with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the one that the Father will send in my name, He's going to come and He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. When I read that passage of Scripture, all I can think of is that man in Cameroon. That in a moment when a thousand things could be flooding through someone's mind, leading them to a number of different compromises that could easily be justified, no one would have held it against him had he folded. But yet because he'd put the word of God in his life, it was brought to his memory and it led to his deliverance. I'm inspired by that testimony and I understand now and see why this is the the weapon of our warfare. Why the Word of God is so important. And when I consider the sword of the Spirit, I mean, oftentimes I think about going out and and hacking away at the enemy, and and I do think that we're called to, to be on offense, but I see the sword of the Spirit as being a weapon that God has equipped me with to go to work in my own heart, to begin to divide my own fears and anxieties from the truth, so that I'm not led by lies and vanity, but so that I can be led by power, by the very love of God, by His truth, through the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something. I want to ask him to do something in our hearts and in our minds. I would love to see there be a a new understanding of why God's word is important. Why we need to have God's word in our lives. Now the purpose of God's word is not just to prove that we go to church or, or to prove that we're disciplined, you know, spiritually. 
But God's word in our lives is to equip us to make the choices and the decisions when we're put under duress, under pressure, that other elements are trying to influence, the self-preservation and, and the temptation to compromise. I mean, this is literally the, the, the most incredibly important equipping that any person could have when you know the things that we're going to face are on the way. I want for me, I want for my sons, I want for my wife, I want for you to have the word of God in your heart so that in the face of danger, in the face of trouble, in the face of compromise, the word can prevail over all else. Divide between what's true and what's false, what's eternal and what's temporary. I want to pray for us this morning. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your word. I ask in Jesus' name for a work to be done in my heart and the hearts of all of those present. A new understanding, a fresh awareness of the importance and the value, the purpose of your word. That we wouldn't see reading your word as a religious obligation, but that we would see the equipping that you have poured out into our lives to stand firm in the face of all adversity. Let us be led by truth. That there be no room for compromise in our actions, in our words, in our decisions, in our choices. But we surrender to your word. Let that separation take place between the soul and the spirit. That we wouldn't be led by what we think, but that we would be led by what you know. We give you thanks and we rejoice that you've equipped us with all that we need for victory. We give you thanks, Father, that you've called us to stand and resist all that is evil in this world. And we ask, Father, by your grace, let your word come to life in each one of our hearts and our minds, that truly your word would be living and active. And let it separate all that needs separation, that we could set aside everything that is empty, everything that is vain, and that we could stand upon all that is true, all that is prosperous, all that is your word. And let the effects of truth be revealed in our words and our actions. Let victory be the result. As we surrender to your word, we bless your name and we give you thanks. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.